We're continuing in our series, Christ is King, and this particular subsection is with regard to the nations. And so we just finished up our subsection of the church, Christ is King of the church, and various implications there. And now we'll be starting Christ is King of the nations, specifically looking at cultures. Christ is King over cultures. Uh, before we intro into that and prep in there, I just want to share, this was unplanned, but in light of everything we've been singing about this morning and the prayer for our suffering brothers and sisters this morning, I've been reading in the book of Acts for my devotional, just working through the Bible book by book. And I've been meditating on what Paul taught the other believers after being stoned in Lystra. He said, through, it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. He knew this well, and he taught it to the brethren. And this is also true for us. And so, I would be lying if I told you that a life given to Christ is one that is easy and comfortable. No, it's quite the opposite. In fact, we're promised by Christ himself and the apostles that we must suffer. And if we knew what that suffering would look like, we perhaps would try to prepare for it or brace ourselves. But oftentimes the bottom drops out and we're left with what feels like nothing. And that's the whole point, that Christ would be our all, that Christ would be our all. And so I give that to you now. Hold it in your hearts. Meditate on it. May it be a lamp unto your feet in coming days, weeks, months. And may we, as God's people, suffer well for his namesake, knowing that these sufferings, these tribulations, they produce in us endurance. And if we make it to the end, then we have hope eternal. And so, Christ is ours, but we will suffer much in order to inherit the kingdom of God. All right. In keeping with our series, again, Christ is king over culture. This is going to be an unusual sermon. I, I will be in multiple texts. Um, there's, there's not really a given text to talk about culture. And some of you might even be wondering, what well, what is culture? How do you define it? I mean, we all probably have a notion of what we mean by that. And so this particular sermon, as I said, is, is going to be a bit unusual. We'll be looking at various texts, and I'm going to be answering several questions. The main one being, what is culture? How am I defining it? And how does that relate to Jesus' lordship? And what is our response thereof? How do we as God's people, if we belong to God in Christ through faith, how do we live in his purpose for us and in light of him having lordship over all that is creation? And so, if you will, let us pray together that the Lord would bless us this time and then we'll, we'll jump right in. O oh Lord God, worthy are you of all of our praise, 
of our adoration. You are glorious. Your majesty knows no bounds. You sit high and lifted up above the circle of the earth, and you do what you want. Your ways are so beyond us. It seems as if you work in the shadows at times, but we praise you because you are faithful and your steadfast love endures forever. And we know, we know that you love us because you've sent us your son. And we can bank on your promises in your word over and over and over again because Christ has been faithful. He, he is the Lamb of God. He is the payment for all righteousness sake, the payment of all the wrath due us. He is our propitiation and our expiation. He is our everything. He is our righteousness. And so may we be reminded of that. And because of those things, we also know that Christ is Lord. And I pray, King Jesus, that you would rule and reign in our midst this morning, that you would use your word to cut our hearts, to expose us, and to encourage us and equip us for the purposes and tasks that you've created us for. Lord, would you be honored in our midst this morning as we seek you in your word. Please draw near to us as we draw near to you. It's in your name I pray and ask all this. Amen. And so the question we must ask, if Jesus is king over culture, what is culture? What is culture? Culture can most easily be understood as the byproduct of humanity. We're going to tease this out. I would almost guarantee if I asked each person in the room, what is culture, I would have a different answer from each of you. Some of you have never given it a thought, perhaps, or others think of it in, in only one light. But it's the byproduct of humanity, and it's the world that humans have created and are creating. We will see later that culture is not, doesn't only belong to humanity, because it, there is indeed a culture within the kingdom of God. But to help us frame what I mean, um, culture is not just what is fashionable. It's not just high class. It's not even just what's popular. Okay, Long, ages ago you had high culture and pop culture, popular culture. They were two different things. But I actually think in observing the world that what is high fashion and what is popular fashion are colliding. When we have the elites motivating the lowliest of people uh, for agendas and whatnot. I think those two things are colliding, but regardless, it's not just those things. Culture includes language, marriage, fashion, education, science, technology, architecture, music, art, aesthetic, worldview, and the list goes on. It's very hard to describe, but it is literally the world that we have made within the world that God has made. Culture is also indiscriminate, meaning everyone has culture. It belongs to the poor. It belongs to the rich, to the humble, to the proud, to male, to female, to the black man, to the white man, and to every man in between. 
Every people group across the globe has a culture, and they create and shape their respective culture. Culture is not a monolith, okay? You go to another part of this state even, and you will experience a different culture. You go to another state, another country, to the corners of the world, and you will experience culture shock. We are both culture creators and culture consumers. By that, I mean everything we do contributes to culture. But because our culture is the world that we live within, we often don't see it for what it is or ever question it. Often we simply assume that what we see is indeed absolute reality and that there are no other options. There's a cute little story that really drives home a particular point. I read it in a book once, and I'll share it now. This is when cultures collide. There's so much misunderstanding because there are, there are set worldviews within cultures, set understandings. We just assume the world operates in a particular way, and so much so that we never, again, question another option. And we assume not only is our way the correct way, but it's the morally right way. This story is a story about a monkey in a jungle. One day, he's in the tree, and he sees uh, a tree, another tree, crash across, the little, uh, across a little river. And a fish is attempting to swim upstream, but this large tree has blocked the entire wa waterway. And the, the fish is darting back and forth, trying to navigate around the tree. The monkey sees the fish and thinks, oh, he is in trouble. He's caught in the water, and he can't get out. And so the monkey goes down and he scoops up the fish. He places the fish on the side of the bank and the fish is flopping with joy. So the monkey thinks. And he says, perfect, I've rescued this fish. And slowly by slowly, the fish loses his breath and he dies. And the monkey thinks, well, he's taking a nap now. <laughs> The point is, the monkey had no clue. The monkey had no clue. And sometimes we don't either because we just look at the world around us, the one that we've experienced according to our fleshly eyes, and we never question it. We never question it. We never hold it in light of the real world. But, but as we're going to see in various texts this morning, we have been called to not only participate within this world, but to be creators within it. To, we have a role within it to honor and glorify God in the world that we are navigating. And so we are indeed culture creators. And so we'll first look at Genesis, a very familiar text, Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now we're going to jump down for brevity to verse 26. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, so big picture. In the beginning, God creates everything that is created. No surprise. And the list of all those things that we skipped over, he creates heaven and earth, day and night, expanse of heaven, the earth, the seas, vegetation, plants, trees, sun and moon, sea creatures and birds, livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth. And then finally, he makes man. He makes man. In short, God didn't just create things. He didn't just create things. Certainly, these things are unique unto themselves, but they're not isolated. No, rather, he created a world. He created a world with all of its intricacies, its details, its craftsmanship. He created a world. And look in verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is really the key to everything else in the sermon. Mankind, male and female, are created in the image of God. And being created in the image of God does not simply mean that we have been fashioned by his design. It's not just he had an image of us in his mind and that's the image that he created us in. No, no, you have to take notice that it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, after our likeness, meaning mankind, we have been created to be like God, like him. We have been fashioned to reflect our creator, right? We bear his image both by design and by purpose. And we have been given certain godlike attributes to fulfill the task he had given us, which was to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. These godlike attributes are what distinguish us from the rest of creation. Okay? This is, I think, very self-evident, but very helpful for us to realize we didn't come from monkeys, all right? We interact with 
and we understand that which is transcendent. We have an ability to interact with and to understand that which is transcendent or immaterial. What do I mean by that? Well, have you paused to look at the world around you? There's an air conditioner blowing right there. Have you thought about what all went into making that, man, that air conditioner? Or the fact that we're wearing clothes? I don't know of any animals that have ever knit cloth and decided to cover themselves up. All of their own, you know, their own fruition. I know there are people that dress their cats, but that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Just pause and look at everything going on for a moment and you realize there is something unique about us. Something differentiates us from the rest, the rest of creation. We speak in such a sophisticated and articulate language. We consider things like, what is my purpose in life? We stare at the cosmos and wonder, is there anything else out there? No other species does that. We have arithmetic and calculus, geometry, grammar, syntax. We paint paintings. We make music. We do all these things. And we ought to do all these things. But not only that, not only do we interact with and understand that which is transcendent, that which is immaterial. But we have been given authority and dominion within the hierarchy of creation. And these two things work together. They work together. Because we are made in the image of our maker, we've been granted this dominion. And it's not a stretch to understand that because we've been fashioned to be like our creator who creates, it is a given that we too will create. And in fact, we have. And in fact, we have. Again, look at the world around you. And it's this world that we create, our little micro-worlds within our homes, our communities, within nations. It's these little worlds that reside within God's world and are meant to be for him and to magnify his name. And so this is what I'm calling culture. This is culture. And this is what we're saying. Christ is king over culture. And so what we say and what we do is what substantiates our creating, our culture making. Because of sin, all of creation has been corrupted in some degree or another, in some degree or another. So our task as we both participate and uh, participate in culture and create it is to discern that which is good, okay, that which is good within God's design and that which must be rejected. There's a helpful paradigm a pastor I used to read and listen to many of his sermons years and years ago. Uh, it's a helpful paradigm, and it's this. When viewing cultural objects or, uh, 
yeah, I think it's the best way to describe it. When, when viewing fads, trends, cultural objects, things we interact with in our world, we have three options. We can either accept it, reject it, or redeem it. For example, cars are morally neutral. There is no inherent evil or, uh, within them. So we're free to own a vehicle, okay? You're free to have a car. You're welcome. All right? You're free. We can accept that plainly. It is technology. It is for the good of society. Some may, some may argue that not so much now with fossil fuels, but that's another point. Um, but yes, we can have cars. Other things we must reject. For example, it is culturally appropriate in our world, culturally acceptable and appropriate for young women to wear immodest clothing. But as those who live under God and his commands, we reject that notion. Why? Because the Lord has said specifically how one ought to carry themselves in the world. How a woman ought to dress and how a man ought to dress for that matter. We reject that notion entirely. No, it is not appropriate for a young woman to dress immodestly. Okay, and then our last option, redeem. Redeem. There are some things that the Bible does not speak specifically to, and these things can be used for good or evil. And we have an opportunity to redeem them and their purpose. Okay? Um, I think one example could be a tattoo. All right? Long, long, long time ago, and this is what Leviticus 19.28 is talking about, pagan nations would tattoo dead bodies to send them to a particular afterlife. So that's the only mention in the Bible of tattoos. It's marking the dead, right, for a particular afterlife. It's clearly not what we're doing today. There are evil tattoos in our midst, okay? Maybe not in our midst, but in our world that portray ungodly things. But is a tattoo inherently evil? And can it not be offered up as some sentiment or perhaps a declaration of God and his goodness and his faithfulness? Yes, I would say yes. Now, some of you might disagree with me on that. That's okay. But that is something we can redeem. I just want you to hold on to that. Accept, reject, or redeem. And how do you know what is acceptable what must be rejected and what can be redeemed well you can only know when you know the world that God has designed himself the way in which we ought to live this is the real world we must take off our cultural glasses our worldview that we don't even know we're wearing and we must submit ourselves to God's world But what we say and what we do, it matters, all of it. Because in the same way that the Lord spoke creation into existence and formed man from the dust of the ground, the substance of the world that we create is in what we say and in what we do. So again, I'll say it again. All of what we say and do is important. And all of it has eternal value. So therefore, we must reject the notion that there is somehow a separation between the sacred and the secular. 
we have to reject that entirely. Many people have been duped into thinking as long as they show up to a church building and act a certain way there, they're free to live however they want once they leave that building. Well, that is a lie, okay? God is Lord over everything. And your entire life is meant to be a living sacrifice, an offering to God. So the job you work, the nine to five, the, the time you spend with your children, how you mow the lawn, it all matters. All of it matters. It all matters. And it can all be a fragrant aroma offered to the Lord our God. There is no such thing as a separation between the sacred and the secular. This, also, this has vast implications, by the way. It means you can't separate your politics from your religion. It means you can't separate how you treat people in the workplace and your religion. It means you can't separate how you parent or the education that you give your children or the education you receive from your religion. It's impossible. It's impossible. You are double-minded if you think that, this is, that that's real, okay? Rather, all of life is for Christ, all of it. All of it is for him and his kingdom. Therefore, everything we say and do matters, particularly what we say. Psalm, one, psalm 150, the last psalm in the Psalter, says this. Just listen to this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is a response all right, this is a song. The Psalter is filled with, with poems. Often, many, most of them were sung. This is a response to God and his greatness from the psalmist. And it's a song that is also a call to worship. And note, note the instrumentation. A trumpet, a lute, a harp, a tambourine, strings, pipe, cymbals, and dance. This is all an expression of creativity that is offered to God and God alone because he's worthy. It's a response to his goodness, to his greatness. And it is an offering that is unique to that culture. Our songs are not like the songs of ancient Israel. We have some similar instruments, but our songs sound different. And that's okay. But the point is, we're making melody. We're using our lips and offering it as something more than just self-serving conversation or backbiting or slander or gossip. But we're offering creativity through our mouths. This is culture, and this is culture-creating. 
We are, again, to sing, to make music, and even to dance as a right response to the Lord our God. And I love that last charge. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. This charge alone summarizes the whole purpose for which breath was put into our lungs. The whole purpose. And so every breath you take, every breath of your family and of those you see in the streets and roads of Brattleboro, let everyone who has breath praise the Lord. We were all made for it. We were all made for it. Therefore, what we say matters. This is also why Paul writes this in Ephesians. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so part of discerning what is acceptable, what must be rejected, and what is redeemable it's, that's just our participation within culture, but it's also giving of ourselves in creating it. And so it's ours, the task is ours to create culture in all strata, okay? High culture, low culture, but that what we're doing is creating a world in which Christ rules and reigns because that's a real reflection of the truth of the cosmos that he indeed does rule and reign. Therefore, we use our lips for him and not against him. We create for him, not for self. The words that roll off of our tongues carry with them life or death. As I said earlier, God's people must put away gossip, slander, murmuring, complaining, evil speech, nor must we tolerate evil speech in our midst, but instead must offer our lips as genuine service to the Lord. We do this in the conversations we have, in the songs that we sing, the poetry that we write, our speech presence in social media, and the truths that we teach, the truths that we teach. So that's what we say, but what, what do we do? In Exodus 31, I love this, instruction for the tabernacle has been given to Moses. And this is, this is what happens. In Exodus 31, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, in the ark of the testimony, in the mercy seat that is on it, in all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, the pure and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments for his sons for their service as priests, 
and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded you they shall do look at this look at this God had set aside a particular man and gave him his spirit if you remember the Holy Spirit has long yet come down and it was given to people oftentimes temporarily it was known that Moses had it and then had the spirit and oftentimes the spirit would fill other individuals temporarily for a particular work but how glorious is it that if we belong to God in Christ we have the spirit always and so we have no excuse in this regard but this man was given the spirit and he was given what ability and intelligence knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs to work in gold and in silver and in bronze in cutting stones and in carving wood and to work in every craft and he made along with other able men all the furnishings of the tabernacle the most beautiful sights of the ancient world they crafted and who was it for who was it for God God it was for him it was for him and it was meant it was meant to stir within the hearts of the people awe and reverence that they might worship and see that God is not like us. We are a filthy, unclean people, but yet he is majestic. He's beautiful. He's holy. There is none like him. There is none like him. And they offered their hands as service to him. How we use our hands matters. We can neither put them to evil, nor can we refuse to use them in slothfulness. How we use our hands matters. We were made to use our hands for the glory of God. Creativity is in our genes. We were fashioned in the likeness of our creator. And he made the world excellently. And therefore, we strive too for excellence in all that we do. Therefore, well, look, in order to be excellent, we must possess ability, intelligence, knowledge, craftsmanship. Therefore, learning, right, the pursuit of knowledge is necessary for us to fulfill our God-given roles. In Psalm 93... Well, read, you can read Psalm 93 on your own, but it intimates this. Stupidity is for the wicked, but those who fear the Lord are wise. Stupidity is for the wicked, but those who fear the Lord are wise. Let the world, if they choose to do so, be stupid, but we must not be like the world. Let us pursue education in the fear of the Lord. Let us learn. Let us give our hands to work and if we need to know things for our hands sake let us do it but also may we be transformed as we pursue excellence that we would create and build and fashion just like our God has created and built and fashioned again to, uh, to us every person really who's been created in the image of God is given to create to have dominion and to fill the earth with people, values, aesthetics, and objects that reflect the glory of God in Christ. We each have a unique job in this. 
per our God-given role. Um, and we all participate in culture creating in some way, shape, or form. All of us. And it's good that we do. Some of you may never write music or pen a poem or ever stick a brush to a canvas. That's, that's okay. But I, I'm here to tell you that the, mo the most mundane of things can be offered as creative service to God. Creative service. And it's for us to do it. So hear me when I say we all have a unique job in this. And those things include cooking dinner, singing songs in your home, drawing with your children, learning about nature on a walk in the woods, mastering your duties at home, your duties at work, trying new foods, trying new foods, gardening, or a new hobby. These things, you, if you don't see their right place in the cosmos and as a gift from the maker himself, then they'll look like just either something that I don't have time for that doesn't benefit me, that doesn't address my current you know, problems in life or circumstances, but you're missing out on the goodness of God's gifts to us. And you're letting the world create culture in their image when it's been given to us to create culture in the image of God. All of what all of early mathematics and science and art were all by Christians. I don't know if you know this. The whole idea of a university, of colleges, is a Christian idea. They didn't exist until the scholastics in the Middle Ages decided, people need to learn, so we're going to start universities. It all came from the church. It all, all of it, all of the fine artwork you see in Rome, all by Christians. Galileo was convinced that because he picked up where the Cappadocian fathers left off, because God incarnated and the supernatural became natural, we can learn something about the world beyond us. He was convinced. You look at the old architecture from the Middle Ages and you see this beautiful Gothic architecture because Christians were convinced Everything we do must be beautiful because God has made the world beautiful. Everything. And so it's to us. To us has been given the task to work heartily unto the Lord and to do it well, to enjoy it, and for the fruit of our labor to be given unto him. Whether you're cutting the grass, you're rebuilding your deck, you're making a chicken coop, whatever those are, those are all things for the men in the room, all right? Whatever it may be, perhaps you're, I would encourage you, write, try to write a poem. I don't write poetry, but I would encourage you to do so. Maybe pin, maybe a start is just to pin down a prayer. If you don't, if the only thing you do is sign checks and things like that, put your pen to paper and write down a prayer. And let it be just for you and primarily for God. But walk in the creativity that he has designed us for. In Colossians 3, Paul says this. It's very succinct. He's, he's actually talking to those who, who are slaves and work for masters. But I think the point applies. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord 
and not for men. Whether it's a chore in the house or a job before a boss or you fulfilling the duties to your spouse, whatever it is, work heartily. Work heartily for the Lord. Do it well for him because he has designed you for it and it's all for him, all of it. And so in all these things, what is the goal? What is the goal? Why put our hand to these things? Why put our lips to these things? The purpose and goal of all humanity, this shouldn't be a surprise, and all that is contained within the human experience. Okay, that's an important point. I'm going to say it again. The purpose and goal of humanity and all that is contained within the human experience, joy, suffering, laughter, trials, tribulations, aesthetic, value, architecture, music, language, all those things, whatever is contained within our world, all of it is for the glory of God in all the cosmos. It's all His. It's all for Him. Don't ever think for a moment it's not and that somehow you've missed it. But whatever role he's given you in life, whatever place he has positioned you, whatever gifts he's given you, use it for him. Abraham Kuyper once said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It's his. It's his. It's all for him. And one day, one day, all people, all peoples of, of all the nations and all of the things, all things will be subject to him. Paul quotes Isaiah 45 in Philippians 2. I'm going to read it directly from the prophet Isaiah. The Lord says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. All of mankind and all the product of mankind will bow because it's all for him. So we give we give art, we give music, we give labor, we give skill. We wash the dishes well. We rear children in the fear of the Lord and do it well. We clean businesses. I build bicycle wheels. Some of you labor with your hands day in and day out and I'm, I presume are very tired. And yet it's for him, it's for him. Mom's in the room. Every spaghetti noodle that sticks to the floor that you have to pick up in, a, in an attempt to clean your house is for him. It's for him. Every book you read, every story you make up, every song you sing, it's all for him. May we give it all to him. And may we avail ourselves that he would use us to create 
a world that magnifies his name. And so, along with that, the rest of our charge is simple. It's simple. Look afresh at the world around you. And seriously consider your comings and goings and why the world is the way it is. Both the good things and the bad things and even the simple things, the things we take for granted. The fact that we all talk on cell phones that are really supercomputers, okay? <laughs> That's all happened within a generation or two. Or that I enjoy single-origin coffee, <laughs> you know? Like, who discovered that one, right? Let's dry these beans out and drink them, okay? All these things, they're magnificent, and they're gifts from God. They are meant to be gifts that we might worship the giver. And this giver has revealed himself to us with the best gift ever in his son. And it's his son, Jesus Christ, to whom all these things belong to and to whom all these things will be given to and will surrender to at the last day. So take note, again, at the intricacies of the world we live in. In faith, pick something to do and master it. Master it. If you've wanted to pick up a hobby and you've been avoiding it, because you think you might not be good, try it. Try it. Or if you think your life is too chaotic to go walk outside and to interact with the created world in the woods, make time. Just tell yourself, no. This world is a gift, and I will enjoy it, and I will participate within it. Be active in shaping the culture of your home the culture of your job, your school, if you're in one, your church, your community, and your world. Your world. None of this stuff is by accident. All the inventions and the technologies, the innovations, the things that benefit us today are all because someone said, I'll figure that out. I'll figure that out. And it's all, it's all grace to us. So may we take serious our role in both creating a world and in living within the world that God has made. As we close, we're going to read Revelation 5. Revelation 5, starting in verse 9. John the seer says this, and they sang a new song. This is in the throne room, by the way. And they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, 
numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. All the peoples of the world, all the nations, all the languages, all the ethnicities will one day surround the throne room of God in white hot worship. And everything that is unique about them, everything that they've given in creating culture and in honoring Christ will be celebrated before the throne. And it will all be for one, one audience because he is worthy. So may we be encouraged to enjoy the world that he has made and to be creators within it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, worthy are you. Indeed, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Father, all things are yours, and in grace you've given us your Son, the Lamb of God. I pray now that we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you in all that we do, that we would take nothing for granted, but that we, filled by your Spirit, would walk in faithfulness before you, using our lips to praise your name, to build up one another, to sing songs and spiritual to sing psalm, hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, to love you with our lips and the praise of our mouths, and would we offer to our hands in the most mundane in things and the most special things for your name's sake. You are worthy, and we praise your name today. Please, would you rule and reign in our midst and have your way among us. It's in your name I pray and ask all this. King Jesus, amen.